Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Eclectic Witching Hour. I'm your host, Nancy Manning. So it's been a minute since I have recorded an episode of my podcast. This is episode number three, and um, I have been on hiatus for quite some time. Um, And I've really missed it, I have to say. Um... I don't know if we need to get into reasons why I haven't had a chance to record any more episodes. Um, There's really nothing more to say other than I've been extremely busy, which is a good thing. Um, My online business, my online boutique, uh, witchyknitsandknots.com, has kind of exploded in the last couple of months. Um, and I'm super grateful for that. I am over the moon excited and happy, um, excuse me, that people have responded so well to, um, my luxury crafting. I have been super duper busy getting together some online orders, um, attending markets where I've been vending, um, and selling all of my um, wares, my witchy wares. So that's been very exciting for me. Um, my first time being on the opposite side of the table at a market. I've always enjoyed going to markets, um, seeing all the different vendors and um, all of the artisan crafts um, and baked goods and gorgeous jewelry and soaps and you name it, whatever's at a market, I'm there just gobbling it up. So it was super interesting, or it has been super interesting for me to be on the selling side of the table. Um, It's been fun, it's been exciting. I've been meeting a lot of wonderful, fantastic people. Um, I have done three markets now since October, since the end of October, and we're only nearing the end of November. Um, And I have another one coming up this Saturday at the Forest Legion in Forest, Ontario. And that is coming up on Saturday, November the 28th. Um, Oh, geez, the hours for that. (laughs) I think it's 9 till 2, 9 a.m. till 2 p.m. You can find out more information online if you're local and you want to stop by. Um, I would love to see as many locals as possible supporting small businesses coming together during this crazy time in this pandemic um, and just supporting each other safely. Uh, Of course, we will be practicing social distancing as well as um, limitations for people who are going to be permitted to be inside of the building because yes, this is Um, an indoor market. So um, yeah, it's been a crazy year for the entire world. Um, And it's fair to say that we've all been in this together. Um, We've all been affected and impacted, most of us negatively. Um, Online, or sorry, not online, but small businesses have um, been put through the ringer. I I know all businesses have, um, but you know, the big guys they will survive this for the most part. Um, and some of them are thriving because of the pandemic. You know, you've got your um, online giants that we're ordering more and more and more from because we're afraid to go and shop in our local grocery stores or local stores to get all of the supplies that we need. So it's just as easy, or I should say it's much easier to pop online, um, you know, throw the stuff in your online basket that you need to be shipped right to your door um, without, you know, with very minimal risk, I guess we could say. Um, I know they've done studies where hard surfaces and things like cardboard and packaging um, the coronavirus cannot survive on that for longer than um, I believe it's a couple hours now. I think at first they were concerned it was a 24-hour turnaround and I think now that they have determined that it's a couple of hours. So by the time you order your product and it arrives at your door, there's practically zero risk. Um, So yes, obviously those businesses have um, 
have been thriving because of the pandemic. But the little guys or, you know, the little entrepreneurs out there um, or your, you know, your local diner, your mom and pop shops, those kinds of places, those are the ones that are suffering. And I know um, our government here in Ontario um, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure other provinces or states, you know, other countries can probably say similar things, but we have been very fortunate to have good leadership where we are here in Canada. And um, they have really, our Prime Minister and our Premier have really done a wonderful job um, battling these numbers, um, trying to keep these numbers down, keep them low. And one of the things that um, particularly here in Ontario I can only speak to because this is where I live, our Premier Doug Ford is constantly tweeting and um, speaking about supporting small businesses, supporting our restaurants, um, supporting our economy as much as we can in this difficult time. Because when, <laughs> if and when there's an end in sight to this um, crazy, crazy time, we want to see as many of those businesses survive. Um, so yeah, make sure that you're, you know, ordering takeout as much as you can afford. I mean, obviously a lot of us are also struggling um, within our own homes financially um, because maybe you've lost your job, maybe you've been laid off because of this pandemic. Um, so obviously do what you can within your own means, but instead of ordering pizza from a big conglomerate like Pizza Hut, for example, um, you know, and I'm not dissing any big companies, Pizza Hut's got great pizza, but just for example, instead of placing your order there, why not order from the pizza shop down the street, you know, that's owned by a neighbor of yours um, who could really use your business far more than a big giant pizza chain um, needs you, okay? So having said that, um, I kind of rolled off into a, a snowball kind of um, with what I'm trying to say about these markets. So going back to that, this this is the kind of mentality that we, we really should be in, um, the, mind, the mindset that we should be in, especially during this holiday season. So I'm really, really, really happy to see how many um, holiday markets there have been. Um, some of them have been taking place um, either outside because of COVID or online yes a lot of things have been cancelled that is true um, but now that some of our restrictions have been lifted in our area here in Lambton County um, I know Toronto and the GTA has gone back to um, the red zone um, so I know that uh, obviously these things are probably getting cancelled there um, just as other events were previous to this to this season um, but we have also had online markets and now we're doing, now that the weather's getting cooler, we're doing some indoor markets, um, with again, safe practice. Um, so it's really, really fantastic, um, to see the amount of support that there is out there for these small artists or business owners, um, and and that's very exciting so in the same vein as trying to sh you know shop small or, or order takeout from your local restaurants not your big chains same kind of uh, frame of mind for um, the holiday season try to order or shop local try to order and shop small um, because those are the people who really, really, really need you um, during this difficult time. Um, so again, I am super thankful that I've had so many people respond well to um, the things that I make. Um, handmade soaps, handmade um, spell bath bombs, handmade bath ritual salts, um, getting into handmade 
uh, shea butter moisturizing hand and body lotion, um, different spell necklaces, spell vials, spell bottles. Um, trying to think of everything off the top of my head here, but um, you can visit my website, witchyknitsandknots.com, and you can see everything that I have available. I have uh, gift baskets for the holiday season for Bath and Body, so you get a nice variety of my um, products with uh, a few little treats within the basket um, to help you out with uh, bath time. <laughs> we all need to practice self-care and um, do what we do to make us relax and de-stress, um, especially during this time. And who doesn't love a nice hot bath full of luscious uh, bath products? Um, you know, so get that for yourself. Get it for your mom or your sister or your friend, your aunt, uh, your hubby, your wife. Um, yeah. So anyhow, um, thank you again to all of you. And I think I'm just going to leave that right there. Um, okay. So again, I haven't done this in a really long time. I don't really have a set plan for today's episode. I kind of just like to fly by the seat of my pants. Um, I will be having special guests. I know I've said that before in my um, maybe not my first episode, but definitely in my second episode, I have said that I'm going to be having some guests on my podcast. And that that is still true. Um, I've had a few people that I've been in contact with that I'm super excited to work with um, and have them on the podcast and maybe more than once. We'll see how it goes. We'll see if they like talking to me. <laughs> And I, I know I'll love talking to them. Um, each of, I've got three solid individuals in mind that have already agreed to be on the show to talk about different things. Um, and all three of them, I, uh, I hold high on a pedestal. They're going to be fantastic. You guys are going to love them. Um, and I can't wait to get into that. That's going to be, that's going to be pretty awesome. Um, so hopefully within the next couple of weeks, um, I'll be able to not only make some more episodes for you guys, but also hopefully I will be able to have some of these guests on my show. So today, um, I thought I would do an introduction to, um, basically mortuary practices. This is something that has fascinated me for I can't even tell you how long I was a kid when I started becoming uh, wildly interested in this topic um, and not morbidly um, I would never be one to judge anyone's obsessions or fascinations including my own um, and I hope especially if you're listening to this podcast you probably wouldn't judge me for saying that I have an obsession and have had one since I was a child or, you know, young adult, maybe even. Um, you're not going to judge me, I'm sure, because you're listening to this podcast. And if you're listening to this podcast, then you're interested in the strange and unusual. Um, and I myself am <laughs> strange and unusual. Um, and you probably are too, if you're listening. So I'm pretty sure that you're not gonna be fucking afraid or you know take off screaming because I said that I have a fascination with uh, mortuary practices um so having said that uh yeah basically um from a young age I've always been curious about what happens behind closed doors um recently I had the uh, privilege and the opportunity to tour a fairly local uh, funeral home um, and the tour was given by the funeral director and business owner and I have to say it was an, a stunning absolutely fascinating experience uh, my only complaint was I did not get to see the embalming room <laughs> which I knew I wasn't going to be allowed to see it. I just knew that that was not going to be something that was going to be part of the tour as much as I wanted it to be. Um, but obviously to have some respect for the dead um, and, you know, who knows, there may have been someone or someones 
in that room at the time. So that definitely would not have been appropriate. Um, but damn, did I wish that that could have been part of the tour. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the funeral home for anyone local who's listening, I'm sure you already know which one I'm talking about, but, um, it is Denning's funeral home, uh, but the one in Strathroy and, uh, they have recently redone this funeral home. I had never, ever been inside it before. So not before the new construction, um, and not after. So this was my very first time entering into this funeral home because we have one here locally. That's also owned by Dennings. They own quite a few in the, in the area. Um, and that's the one that we always attend for, um, funerals locally. So I'd never been to the one in Strathroy, Ontario. It is absolutely stunning. I mean, what doesn't this place have? It's um, incredible. Um, there is this amazing half of it that um, is dedicated to basically what happens after the funeral. Um, so you know how most times after a funeral, they'll have, some people call it a coffee table, um, and the... the um, after the procession to the cemetery, if there is uh, that aspect of it, some funerals that doesn't happen because of cremation or um, other reasons. But after the procession to the cemetery, um, usually the director will announce that uh, arrangements have been made back at wherever. Um, sometimes it'll be your local legion. Sometimes it'll be, you know, a restaurant that has a, a party room that's been reserved or, or what have you. You go back there, you eat, you drink, you socialize, cry some more, share some happy stories and memories, that kind of thing. Well, this funeral home has um, a whole, whole entire half of the building dedicated to just that. So they have a place for you to book your, I don't want to call it an after party, but you know what I mean, to, to you know, to book your coffee table afterwards. Um, there's plenty of seating, tables and chairs. Um, the decor is stunning. They have a kitchen there for catering. Um, they have, a, yeah, they do, I believe they have a bar even, so a place um, for alcohol to be served. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, we actually had dinner there. So I got to say that I had a formal, delicious dinner at the funeral home um, after the tour. So we got to experience that room or that half of the building rather, I should say. Um, and then the funeral side of it, um, where the funerals are held, that I, I've never seen anything like this funeral home. It's absolutely stunning. Um, they have a service there that at the time they hadn't started yet, but it was in the works where while you're alive, you can arrange to have um, a video taken of, of you speaking to your family and friends and they will, um, at your funeral, they'll play it. Um, so it's kind of, uh, it's kind of amazing to me that this is a service that, um, is being offered and why it hasn't been a thing before now. Maybe it is in other parts of the world or other cities or other, you know, I'm sure it is. But, um, to us, we were like explaining the exciting new venture that they were, going to be exploring and uh it really made me want to plan my whole funeral now and, and I'm not that old I mean um but there's never there's never a bad time I guess if if you want to plan your you know your own details and and such um it's never too early um it would certainly help the the living after you're gone be able to um you know, get things in order a lot easier instead of starting from scratch, especially if it's a, you know, if it's a surprise ending for yourself, if you know what I mean. But, um, yeah, it just really made me want to, um, get all of my ducks in a row and, uh, what, 
what what a lovely place to to do that so anyway um that for me was super 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 fascinating um again going back to when i was young and i always wondered what happened on the other side of of the walls that you don't usually get to see um we learned a lot on that tour um and i got to ask some questions later on that i had in you know in my mind and i've had in my mind for years that i've never really had a straight answer to the one question i had was i heard when when i was a, a teenager i had a teacher whose husband was a funeral director um then we just said mortician but you know now now we have other other terms because they do more than just prepare the body um and, and stuff and and some don't even some don't even have any part of that i mean i guess it depends on um the funeral home and the the director and the person whether they are going to be doing all of the preparations the embalming um the you know the makeup the sewing the hair all of that kind of stuff that can be done by all one person or that those jobs can be divvied between um you know there would be a beautician there would be a hairstylist um a director the person who prepares the body um anyhow i guess it it, it all depends but this particular um teacher's husband um had told her and she told us and unless my memory is skewed this is what i have remembered for the rest of my life up until this tour when i got to ask the question was that when they prepare the body before applying any makeup they blow dry and these are the words that were used they blow dry um like a shopping bag from you know the supermarket or the grocery store they blow dry it and melt it onto the face so it can smooth out any imperfections and then you can easily apply the makeup after that kind of devastated me a little bit for many many years um it it didn't sit well with me um i mean it is what it is you don't know when you're dead i guess and and your loved ones aren't going to know that that's happened but the fact that i had that little nugget of information really fucking freaked me out uh, and i had to know if this is true um so i asked um privately i didn't want to sound i don't know <laughs> i want to sound crazy or uh, sadistic or whatever in front of the other people on the tour but um i said this is what i heard many many years ago um is it true and he gave me a really really um great answer uh one that makes complete sense he said it's not quite a shopping bag and it doesn't happen 100% of the time the only time that we would have to um put kind of like an epoxy on um the face or the skin is if there's been some trauma to the area so um if someone has been in a car accident and they have you know major um pieces of their flesh missing um or you know they need reconstruction then that would be a time where they would have to do something like that um so that made sense to me and of course we all know that you know um if someone's had a tragic accident and you see them at the funeral and they look pretty great for having you know having been through what they had when they passed um we obviously know that there's some kind of uh reconstruction happening behind cold stores so that makes perfect sense um so that eases my mind <laughs> a little bit um but uh yeah so anyway um i could go on and on about different uh you know different ideas that i've had throughout the years or different reasons why i've been so interested um but for now i want to put a pin in in that and i want to um read a tale or two from a book that um i recently ordered a few months ago um and i haven't had a chance to open 
and read on my own just yet. So I thought, why not um, open it for the first time on this episode of my podcast? Um, the book is called Undertaker Tales, What They Don't Teach You at Mortuary School. And it is edited by Stephanie K. Deal and Stacy Gilvis. There are a number of short stories in this book by different authors. So I think it would be a pretty perfect um, way to kind of get into this topic and uh, maybe see what we think after we've read a tale, uh, maybe discuss that a little bit um, and go from there. So without further ado, (laughs) I'm going to go to the first story and it's called Dead Tired by Emma Ennis. And just one minute, I'm going to take a drink and clear my throat. Hmm, yum. All right. Dead Tired by Emma Ennis. The steady stream of water drummed loudly on the glinting base of the stainless steel sink, the spray hitting the sides like whispers and dribbling wetly down the pristine white backsplash tiles on the wall behind. Adrian adjusted the temperature gingerly and tested it with a fingertip. That would suffice. He squirted some soap from the metal dispenser on the wall and lathered it between his hands, adding some water to augment the foam. He leaned over the sink and splashed his face, the tepid water feeling heavenly against his tired, grimy skin. Standing up again, his chin dripping, he tore some paper towels from another clinical dispenser and patted himself dry. He turned off the tap and loosened his constricting tie, running still damp hands through his hair, masking it stand up in spike, sorry, making it stand up in spikes. He took one last glance around the room, ensuring everything was in order before he flicked the switch by the door and wearily climbed the stairs to the main house. On the landing, he took a bunch of keys that hung on a nail and set about closing up the basement. The main lock snapped and he turned the key again, engaging the double lock, then moved on to the next one and the next. He secured the security chain and hanging the keys back on the nail, lifted the thick plank of wood that sat underneath and set it firmly in the slots on either side of the door. His footsteps were muffled by the carpet as he made his way to the kitchen. He stopped halfway to remove his hard shoes, sighing with pleasure as his fatigued toes sunk into the thick pile, cushioning them like a new pair of slippers. His wife, Pam, was standing by the stove, shoveling various delights from half a dozen steaming pots onto two already heat plates. He kissed her lingeringly on the cheek, then sat at the table, glancing anxiously at the clock. Heavy day? She asked sympathetically, laying his plate in front of him before slipping his jacket off his shoulders and draping it over the back of his chair. Dad was right when he said there was always work in the undertaker business, he answered vaguely. After dinner, they cleared up and then retired to the sitting room. While he spent his days below making the money, his wife was busy making the house a home. The room was cozy, the perfect place to unwind after a hard day's work. But Adrian sat uneasily uneasily on the comfy cushions, his eyes darting periodically from the droning talk show host on the TV to the relentlessly ticking clock on the wall. Eventually, Pam stood up and stretched. Well, poke me, I'm done, she said, smiling cheekily. Adrian smiled back, smacking her playfully on the bum. Coming up, she asked, cocking her head towards the stairs. He glanced at the clock again, his heart suddenly thumping. No, I've got a few things left to do, he replied, trying to keep his voice even. I'll be up shortly. She pouted. (coughs) Excuse me. She pouted, though there was a hint of pity in her big brown eyes. Okay, she consented, brushing his hair back and kissing him on the forehead. Don't stay up too late. When the creaking of her nightly routines had ceased above him, Adrian took his book from the side table, an insipid, frivolous work that he continued to drudge through just for the sake of it. He hadn't gotten further than a few paragraphs when the words began to blur together and the delay between his blinks got shorter, the blinks themselves becoming longer with each one. The book slipped from his hand and fanned out in his lap. 
His head rolled to the side and was caught lovingly by the plump cushions. His mouth fell open and his breath came in long, even gusts. A light tapping sound started up from somewhere underneath his feet, gradually increasing in momentum and and in intensity until it became a full force barrage, rocking the stillness of the sleeping house. Above the din rose a spine-chilling moan. It rolled through the house, filling every nook with its resonance. It flowed down the hall and across the sitting room to where Adrian dozed on the sofa. He sat up with a jerk, his eyes snapping again to the clock. His book slipped off his knee and clattered to the floor, startling him a second time. He stood up quickly and made his way to the kitchen, hitting the switch of the coffee machine with unwarranted force. The foul liquid gurgled into his cup and he sipped it warily as he crossed the room to the phone table, his forehead crinkling with distaste. He hated coffee, loved the smell, detested the taste. A black appointment book lay open on the table and he flicked to the following day. His heart sank when he saw the lines of engagements that were scribbled there in varying shades of blue ink. There were three bodies coming to him from the city morgue in the morning, and he had to meet he had a meeting with a potential client who was debating having her dearest beloved interred by Adrian. He looked at the steaming cup with regret before settling down with a heavy sigh. He must go to bed. He did his rounds of the ground floor, flicking off lights and putting every second window on the latch so the air wouldn't be too stuffy when they got up in the morning. He took a glance at the basement door before proceeding upstairs. The chain had come loose and he replaced it with a shiver. Reaching into the cubby hole under the stairs, he pulled out a dented baseball bat. He swung it once experimentally, then took it with him upstairs and into the bedroom, where he crept crept quietly towards the bed in the darkness. He tossed his clothes onto the chair and slid on the covers, slid under the covers, snuggling up close to his wife's soft, warm back. He kissed her cool shoulder before drawing the blanket over it. She was already deep in sleep, dreaming her peaceful, sweet dreams. They had not gone to bed at the same time in years, not since he had started the undertaking business in the basement. That was something they didn't train you for in undertaker school. Adrian was shattered, but still he was reluctant to close his eyes. He lay in the darkness, fighting to keep them open, listening to the lonely ticking of the clock getting louder with every second that passed. Finally, when it felt like little lead weights had been attached individually to his eyelashes, he couldn't hold out any longer. He gave his wife a final squeeze and kissed the back of her head through her silky hair. She shifted and snuggled tighter into him, her fingers groping in the darkness and finding his entwined with them. The warmth from her touch spread through him and sighed content- and he sighed contently. He nestled into her hair. His eyes slid closed and almost willingly he drifted off to sleep. The house settled creakily around its sleeping occupants. Across the street a dog started to bark. But whatever curiosity had altered him was soon satisfied and he too snuggled down in his cozy kennel. A slight breeze took up, catching a stray newspaper sheet and pasting it against the garden fence where it fluttered between the posts for a moment before the little squall wandered off on its merry way and the paper fell and settled with a sigh on the footpath. Inside the house, deep in the bowels of the basement, there was a metallic clatter and some malignant-looking tools slipped off the movable work tray. A car passed on the street and the headlights momentarily beamed through the tiny excuse for a window. Shadows played over the black body bag that lay on a steel gurney in the corner, perhaps creating the illusion that it was moving. By some unknown force, the tray tipped in the darkness and the rest of the tools slid to the floor, followed by the tray itself. Upstairs, Adrian shifted in the bed, the noise not quite waking him, but dragging him fitfully closer to consciousness. A series of thuds made him toss onto his back, still stubbornly clinging to the last dregs of sleep. There was an angry snarling sound. A rhythmic beat started like heavy footsteps and wooden stairs, and then the door to the basement began to rattle. The chain jingling against the door jamb the deadbolt straining against the force that increased by the second. Adrian sat bolt upright in the bed, his heart hammering in his chest just as the door downstairs banged against its restraints. 
A fevered howling sound broke above the clamor and faded, a chorus of deep, vibrating groans taking its place. Adrian swallowed hard. Here it comes. He reached over the side of the bed and felt around for the bat. With his free hand, he shook his wife, shaking more frantically when she refused to acknowledge him. Eventually, she opened her eyes, ready to attack him for disturbing her. But he put his fingers to his lips, signaling for her to be quiet. They're back, he whispered. They clambered out of the bed and shuffled hastily toward the ensuite. He wouldn't allow her to turn on the light, practically slapping her hand away from the switch when she reached for it. I think they might be attracted to the light, he explained. Her eyes were wide in the diffused glow from the street lamps. Adrian placed his hand on her cheek for a second and then slid it around to the back of her neck and pulled her to him, crushing her lips with a fierce kiss. Lock the door after me, he whispered urgently as the sound of splintering wood echoed up the stairs. Do not come out, no matter what, okay? He could see that she was about to protest, but he stared her down. Still, he had to prize her fingers from his so he could step back into the bedroom. They looked at each other once more. There were tears in her eyes. Then he closed the door and waited until he heard the lock snap into place. There was a big beast of a chest of drawers against the wall to his right, and he heaved it in front of the bathroom door. They wouldn't take her, not that night. He left the room, locking the door behind him, a useless precaution, but at least it might slow them down. He strode down the, he strode down the stairs, but before he went to the basement, he hurried in the opposite direction, flicking on all the lights in the room furthest from the stairs. If his theory was correct, then that might draw them away from Pam. Taking a deep breath, he walked back down the hallway and stopped at the end of the stairs. The basement door was dead ahead of him. It shook and rattled in its frame. The chain had snapped and the wood around the locks was cracked and would not hold out much longer. Adrian planted himself on the bottom step, gripping the bat in both hands and waited. The hammering grew in intensity, filling his head until he thought it was going to explode. Then the locks gave way and the door slammed against the deadbolt. The dreadful moans grew louder and a moldy hand slipped through the gap. As though it had set off a chain reaction, more and more hands began to slide through, pushing and prizing, straining against the barricade. A cold sweat broke out on Adrian's brow. His hands felt slippery on the bat and he hastily rubbed them against his t-shirt before the barrier snapped in half and the door crashed to the floor inches from his feet. The moans filled the air, a constant vibration that caused his teeth to rattle. The mouths that emitted them did nothing to ease his tension. Scores of hideous beings stumbled towards him from the basement, their bodies in various stages of decay. They were dressed like humans, formed like humans, but the eyes were dead and soulless. The mouths, deadly weapons that were wide open, ready to latch onto anything living that came close. Adrian held the bat high, gripping it so tight he could feel his knuckles straining. He stepped off the stair and swung the weapon with all he had inside him. It connected dully with fleshy bone. The shock of it traveled up his arm. The victim's groan ended in an oof of surprise. Its head flew to the side and there was a loud snap as its neck severed from its spine. The thing seemed to hang in the air for a moment before it fell back heavily, knocking against those behind him and sending them sailing down the stairs. Adrian could hear the thumps and cracks as numerous frail, chalky limbs were broken, but still they came. Those that hadn't been knocked backwards simply stepped over those who had fallen, trampling their fellows underfoot. Adrian swung again and again, his shirt soaked with perspiration. A pile of bodies rose at his feet, innumerable groping hands breaking the wall. Their owners felled in the act of grabbing for him. More and more clamored towards him, and he kept on swinging. The bat was coated in a bloody goo, bits of what looked distinctly like brain matter adhering to the tip. A big, fat man came for him, his gray flesh hanging in loose jowls as though it had become too heavy for his bones to hold. His mouth was open crookedly, his jaw broken. His fleshless fingers reached for Adrian, and he recoiled, lashing out with the bat with all of his might. 
It smashed into the skull and he heard a crack as the bat splintered. He stabbed wildly with the jagged end, but it was swallowed up in the saggy flash and sucked from his grip. He turned and ran to the sitting room, grabbing the poker from the companion set, which clattered onto the hearth. He spun to wait for them, weapon at the ready. What was taking so long? He could hear their groans and wails, but they did not seem to be following him. He inched the door and was dismayed to see a stream of monsters was already halfway up the stairs. No, he yelled, bolting across the hall and launching himself over the banister into their path. He attacked and stabbed like a man possessed, but for each one that fell, two more took their place and he was forced further up the stairs. On the landing, he glanced around wildly. His bedroom and Pam was down the hall to the left. He had two choices. He could try to lead them in a different direction, or he could retreat to the room and try to defend her from there. He hastily decided on the former and started back down the hall away from the bedroom. He screamed when a set of stinking arms closed around his neck, trying to drag him to the ground. He wriggled from the hold, bringing the poker up and driving it forward. It sunk in the stomach of his attacker with a sickening squelch, and he twisted it for good measure before yanking it out again. He had no idea how they had gotten behind him, but his meager choice had now been whittled down to one, so he turned and ran to the bedroom. Shoving the key in the door with trembling hands, he unlocked it and squeezed inside. He felt desperate fingers scrabbling at his back, and he didn't know if it was real or just his imagination playing tricks on him, fueled by his mounting terror. Slamming the door behind him and locking it again, he went to the bed and shoved it away from the wall until the foot against the door was already beginning to shake in its latches. He bent down and with inhuman strength heaved it up and stood it on its ends. That ought to slow them down a bit. From the bathroom, he could hear terrified sobs, but as loud as they were, they could barely rise above the hideous, ear-piercing screeches coming from the hall. The bed was beginning to teeter, rocking with the force of the blows on the door. He sprang to the bathroom door. Pam, love, let me in, he whispered, pressing the wood as though it was a direct link to her. The door opened and a frightened face peered cautiously through the crack. He pushed his way through. His eyes scanned the room, but there was nothing of any weight that could be used as a barricade. In desperation, he put the laundry basket against the door and stacked the bin on top for all the good they would do. In the bedroom, there was a crash and rattle of springs as the bed fell and the door smashed in. Adrian looked to the shower cubicle. How long could that hold up? He glanced at the window. Would she survive the drop? What if there were more of them outside? He turned to her. She was watching him, waiting for him to come up with the master plan that would save them. But he had nothing. They had reached a dead end. He put his hands on her shoulders, trying to think of some way to say no. He would not give up. Not again. They would take their chances with the window. There was a deafening crack and the top panel in the door was ripped out. Swarms of zombies filled the room beyond their gray dead faces, filling the hole in the door. Adrian made to shove Pam out of the way, but it was too late. The grappling hands had her, clawing at her hair, dragging her top half through the opening while her bottom half remained in the bathroom with him. Her screams froze his veins. He jabbed the poker into the faces surrounding her, but there were too many of them. A scraggy-haired female, her chin bloody where she had chewed away her own lip, bent her face to Pam's neck and sunk her teeth in. She let out a blood-curdling cry as the dead woman jerked her head back, grinning triumphantly around a mouthful of his wife's flesh. Pam's screams turned into a watery gurgle. Adrian stabbed and pushed, but the poker was ripped away from him, and he began to punch with his bare hands. Another zombie lashed onto Pam's cheek, tearing the skin from her bones. She was unable to cry out any longer, but her eyes pleaded with Adrian, begging him to end the pain. He roared with anguish, hot tears flowing down his cheeks as he struggled in the tug of war for his wife. Adrian, she whispered, her hand reaching for him, coming to rest weakly on his face. Adrian, wake up. He couldn't let her die like that. She wouldn't end up on his table in the basement, not his Pam. He, wake up. His eyes cleared. 
and the moans and screeches were replaced by a delicious silence. He looked around him. He was standing in the bathroom. The door was open, but it was intact against the wall. The bedroom beyond was empty. There were heart-wrenching sobs coming from somewhere, and it was several seconds before he realized they were his own. Pam stood at his shoulder, whispering soothing words in his ear. He bundled her into his arms, still sobbing. He kissed her beautiful cheek, then buried his face in her neck, his salty tears wetting her soft skin. Every night for six years. Every night they came, and every night they made him a widower. Each time he struggled to keep her alive, hoping that if just once he could achieve this, then the dreams would leave them alone. That was something you could not train for at Undertaker School. Okay, wow. Um, I was not expecting that. <laughs> so, um, wow. Okay. I was expecting these stories to be, um, I don't know. Obviously, this is fiction. I mean, there's there's a good possibility that it is nonfiction in that the character in the story is actually someone um, who is an undertaker who has these recurring nightmares. And uh, that is a possibility, of course. Um, but I guess let's attack this as a piece of fiction. Um, I think my cat's at the door or one of my dogs. I can hear something scratching at my door. And I hope to fuck it's not a zombie. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah. Okay, so first of all, I was not expecting that um, the story was going to turn into um, a zombie story. That was uh, kind of a turn for me that... I, I don't know what I was expecting the noises to be. I think I thought it was going to be more of a supernatural uh, story. It was definitely, um, it was very descriptive. It was very well written. Um, a lot of detail um, and descriptive, um, descriptive uh, paragraphs in there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't... <laughs> This is this is what happens when you don't have a plan on a podcast and you haven't pre-screened the stories or or you know the material that you that you're going to read. Um but I don't know really how to discuss that particular story because it is not what I was expecting um in this book. Um I thought that it was going to be and of course there's so many other stories that might be more what I was expecting, but as far as what I've just read, um, it's a piece of fiction that uh, I I was expecting to discuss some topics and points that were non-fictional. Um, you know, judging from the title, Undertaker Tales, what they don't teach you at mortuary school. She ended her story with that. I am. I really like the last sentence of the story. Um, I guess the the what I can kind of um, claw at here and extract from this story and its moral is basically uh, the life of a mortician or a funeral director. Um, I can't imagine the trauma that they have to witness. Um, I, I'm sure that they suffer from PTSD with some of the, um, with, with some of the, uh, you know, things that they see, things that are brought to them. The amount of sadness and, uh, despair, loss, um, just dealing with the living alone. I can't imagine, um how that must be to deal with that on on a daily basis um you have to have really thick skin obviously you have to be very very good with people um you have to 
not let your emotions get the better of you. Um, there's just so many, there are so many attributes that you must possess as a mortician, undertaker, funeral director, whatever you want to call it, that, um, isn't for everyone, obviously. So I think what that story is saying to me is that because of what he does for a living, Adrian cannot escape these bodies, these, uh, metaphors for death, um, decaying flesh, um, that come for his wife. He can't escape that every night for the last six years. He has to deal with this over and over and over again, um, because of what he does for a living. He sees death on a daily basis. He sees grief and loss and, um, tragedy. He sees it all. And the underlying fear within him that one day this is going to be his wife. One day his wife will pass away. And he said in a moment when his wife was being bitten by the zombie in the cheek, He said, not Pam. I don't want Pam to be in my basement. I'm paraphrasing, but something like that. He can't live with the fact that one day she is going to be a body on the steel slab in the basement. That he is going to have to prepare for a funeral. Um... Whether Adrian knows it or not, this is something ingrained within him because of what he deals with on a daily basis. It's a fear that he's struggling with um, that so far in six years has not been resolved, has not gone away. Um, And unless he can figure out a way to make that happen, he is going to be suffering with this fear every day. Um, Losing his wife, having her suffer the same fate as his clientele has suffered, for lack of a better word, his clientele. Um, And that's devastating. Um, That is not fiction. That is completely real. That is a real fear many, many, many people have. I went through a period in my life, in my early 20s, when I was in university, um, I remember calling my mom up and just bawling my eyes out. And she was panicked at first, you know, what's the matter? Why are you calling me, like, crying your eyes out? You know, calm down, tell me what's wrong. I couldn't stand the thought of losing anyone around me including even I had I had two cats at this particular time and even thinking of one of them passing away made me just break out and bawl uncontrollably and then I would think about my mom and my dad and my grandparents and all of whom were still with us at that time and uh, I would just like I would just break down and I would just bawl my eyes out. And she told me that it is very, very natural for me to be experiencing these feelings. Um, That in fact, she experienced the same thing when she was probably about my age um, and had the same reaction. And, um, you know, it's hard to shake, but eventually she said it will pass. Um, and you will realize that, you know, it's part of life and, uh, there's nothing you can do to change it. So worrying about it is not going to make anything different. Um, you're just going to torture yourself. So, you know, I can't tell you to stop, 
feeling this way or stop thinking about it, but I can tell you that one day you will move towards acceptance. Um, and that was great advice. I hadn't felt that way prior to that. Like I said, I was obviously um, very much interested in um, death culture um, and many other things, um, you know, prior to, to that breaking point or that sort of like realization that I had that everybody around me was going to die. Um, and I never had a problem dealing with, with, uh, those things because I, I think because I didn't focus on them. Um, but for whatever reason in that particular point in my life, it was something that was very debilitating, um, that eventually, like my mom said, I, I did move past that obsession with, uh, the thought that some, they're going to die, they're going to die, they're going to die. And, uh, you know, just kind of reverted back to some normalcy after that. So I think we all have that fear, but for Adrian in this story, that fear is so real for him because he sees this on a daily basis. This is his, this is his livelihood. He lives in the mortuary for God's sake. Like, can you imagine having to live above that? Um, you know, go to work, go downstairs, you know, all day you're, you're up to your elbows and knee deep in, you know, blood, gut, score, uh, dealing with the, the survivors who are absolutely devastated and you have to give your condolences over and over again on a daily basis. You have to sit with these people. You have to plan the funeral with them. You have to make their lives as easy as possible. You are the fixer of all things. And then you go home exhausted from the day. Um, have to deal with the fact that you're not really leaving work at work. You live where you work. And then you know that if you fall asleep, you go to bed, you're just going to have this fucking dream again and again and again. That's torture. That right there is absolute torture. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I did have eventually after <laughs> after I finished reading the story, um, I formulated some kind of um, opinion on it um, or extracted, like I said earlier, extracted a piece from it that, that we could just sort of focus on and discuss. So um, I'm glad that I was able to do that because that makes that story so real for me. Um, forget the fact that it's about zombies, um, obviously that's just a dream, but forget about the fact that it's about these, like, fictitious, you know, uh, creatures and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. There is an underlying real story there that, um, is actually very tragic and very, very sad, and that is real. Um, so yeah, that was, uh, that was an interesting read, not what I was expecting at first, but having kind of extracted that and then realizing that there's more to the story, um, I was quite pleased with that one. Again, that was called Dead Tired by Emma Ennis. The book is Undertaker Tales, What They Don't Teach You at Mortuary School. So maybe throughout some future episodes, I will take some more uh, tales from this book, um, read them, and uh, have a little chit-chat about them afterwards. So we're getting close to the end of the time that we have for today's episode, um, which I'm going to call Undertaker Tales, named after the book. Um, I thank you very much for joining me again after such a long hiatus. I hope that you stay tuned for future episodes. I really cannot wait to have some co-hosts on the show coming up soon. We will be discussing some very interesting topics and I look forward to hearing what um, my co-hosts will have to say um, on these topics in future episodes. 
So thank you again. I wish you all well. Stay safe, please. Um, and again, from the beginning, try your best to shop local, try your best to shop small. That's important during this horrific time. And I hope you're all staying safe. Uh, join me again next time. And again, my website, witchynitsandknots.com. Thanks guys.